You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road in Hillsboro, North Carolina. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. Would you take just a moment, just close your eyes. Consider the, the last part of that song. Jesus' return. Your readiness. The grace grace to live, but mercy that took you from death to life. The forgiveness that God had to extend to you. Through his son, that it would allow you access. Father, sometimes it's simple on our end to just go with the flow and assume our relationship with you. Sometimes we take it for granted almost like we're entitled to some kind of mercy, entitled to some kind of grace. And yet, Father, it is by only by your mercy and grace that we even have life we have breath and to consider that we get to spend eternity in heaven in the presence of holy almighty god because of what you did not because of what we did god just takes it out of our hands and reminds us that we need to be a grateful, thankful people before, before you. And so, God, I pray that as we consider our relationship with you, that which we hold on to, God, help us to hold on to the right things. So that what you did on Calvary, wouldn't be lost in the shuffle. But God would drive us and help us be determined to, to share the good news of the gospel and to live out the good news of the gospel every single day. And so, Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. Grace that frees us and, and helps us to live a life as you want us to live. God, we thank you for who you are. We praise you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, I mean, I get challenged by songs like that. So um, 
you know, just thinking about Jesus coming again, and I'm thinking, okay, if he were to break the sky now, would I be ready? And, and the reality is, when we start looking at Scripture, that, that possibility is there. I mean, we, we have to understand that God is not on our timetable. And although we may say, well, it's not the right time, it can be. It's really up to God. What he wants to do and when he wants to do it. Our job, our responsibility is just to walk in faith. You know, last week we, we met some folks and it was the simple heart of faith displayed in a father who had a very sick daughter. And we, we learned that, that he chased down Jesus and got through a crowd and said, come heal my daughter, she's at the point of death. And then Jesus is on his way and we meet another lady who had had a 12-year issue with a sickness and she touched the hem of his garment and she was healed. All the while the father is waiting and saying, hurry up and get to my daughter because she's dying. And we, as we looked at that, we said, okay, these two individuals expressed a heart of faith and really it meant for us that we would take one step of faith. That was the application for us. What would be our one step of faith? We said, so one step of faith could have been, I'm going to work on Wednesday night in the, in the kitchen back there working on fellowship meals. One step of faith is I'm going to, I'm going to volunteer to work in student ministry or in preschool or with adults in classes. That, that could be one step of faith. One step of faith could be, um, I'm no longer going to sit in the congregation. Did that go off? No. Okay. I'm no longer going to sit in the congregation at the beginning of service, but I'm going to be in the choir loft. I'm going to hang out with Wayne on a regular basis. And so, so that, may been, that may be a step of faith for you, just to step out of what is comfortable. And if we look at Scripture, if we, if we go back and just kind of review, in, in chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Mark, Jesus crisscrosses the, the Sea of Galilee, and he's healing, and he's teaching, and he's causing some commotion. Obviously, he caused commotion when he cast the, the demons, the, that demon that was in the um, demoniac, the, the guy by the seashore that was kind of crazy and out of control when he cast that demon into the pigs, and they went down the hill and died. You know, that, that deal, and then the people asked Jesus to leave and go, go away. Just go away. We said that, that sometimes we push Jesus aside, and, and yet all that is taking place in, in Mark 4, 5, and 6. And what we see as a general principle is we see the heart of Abba Father expressed in the way Jesus takes care of things. So it could be the, the healing of the daughter of that that synagogue official that come, came to Jesus. could be the healing of that lady. It could have been the healing of the, um, the demoniac. But we see him doing that, the feeding of thousands with a very small amount, of, small amount of food. What we see is the heart of Abba Father, the mercy of God, and Jesus revealing God in the flesh. Jesus was, the, was that touchable God. And sometimes our view of God is God is so far away that it's just hard to realize that he's there. And Jesus is present saying, hey, you can touch me. That was the whole deal with Thomas at, at, at the end. I need to see and I need to touch. And, and Jesus says, well, go ahead. Jesus is a very touchable God. Very known God. 
And in that, he begins to get the attention of, of religious officials, I guess is the best way to put that. Some folks that, that may, didn't, may not have seen God as, um, as Jesus. They may have seen God as something a little bit different. So we see the heart of Abba Father, God's mercy, and Jesus revealing himself in the flesh as a touchable, known God. And so that's where we, that's where we get to in this. And, and what we're going to find this morning is we're going to find this degree of protest that comes from the Pharisees and the scribes. And, and we live in a world of protest, don't we? Where it seems like every single week some new protest comes up. Some new way of expressing my dislike for something. So I, I want to run through a couple of them. Just not, not that you really need to be reminded, but it kind of leads us into looking at this passage. Because we'd say, okay, the Pharisees, they've got a protest here. They've got something that they want to they push back on. And we have to understand that our interpretation of protest has to, to be encapsulated within some principle found in, found in Scripture. So we find protests every day, like racially charged protests. You, it doesn't take, you don't have to go very far to find this, but um, Confederate flags that protest in loud silence, and then those that defame or vandalize statues. Two different sides of the, of the same issue sometimes. The reality is there's no permission in Scripture to unlevel the ground at the foot of the cross. Racism is sin and requires repentance and restoration. And whether you agree with that or not, it's an argument you can have with God. God has leveled the ground at the foot of the cross and everybody can come to him. That was the whole argument of Jews and Gentiles. Nobody is supreme in that. That we get to come to the foot of the cross together and say, God, my life is yours and you shed your blood and it didn't matter whether I was tall, short, skinny, big, money, no money, any of that kind of stuff. It's all level ground. Second thing that we find, we find politically charged protests that go on. Investigations, accusations, call for impeachment, claims of errant elections and sabotage. The result is a confidence that's weakened in a democratic society and widespread distrust. I can watch the news and it's really simple to look at it and go, I don't trust anybody. And it really doesn't matter what label you put on it. It's like, I'm thinking I'm getting half-truths from everybody on TV. And that may be actually true. You kind of have to dig into it. But this I do know. Bible calls us to pray for those in authority over us. In Romans 13.1 it says, and it's interesting who writes it, because Paul writes it, and he's often imprisoned, which kind of meant he was bucking the authority sometimes, he wrote this, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are what? Appointed by God. Who? It's not like God took his hand off government or history or the, the power entities in our world. God is still in control. 
And we may think God is out of control, that he has no, no say in any of this, but God has put folks in that place. And we've even seen the gods used very evil regimes in the course of history to redirect history. Read Judges. Look through the Old Testament and see if God didn't use some very ungodly people to correct his people. We have a responsibility to obey the authorities and pray for them. There's no piece of this that gives an excuse that a believer does not have that responsibility. The other things that we find are, are those protests regarding the rights of individuals. Gender identification. They had a really short phrase for that. God decides, man doesn't pretty simple. God made you a man, you're a man. God made you a woman, you're a woman, and you don't get to cross that. It doesn't mean that you can't love somebody that's identifying differently. You love them with the love of Christ, but that doesn't change the fact on how God created them. And so you love them with the grace and the mercy that's been bestowed to you. Choice regarding unborn babies. Actually, human conception is a miracle in and of itself, and Psalm 139 is very clear that God put together that person. And it begins when that life is conceived. And there's no, there's no right, maybe, although there is a law that allows it, it does not mean it is correct. Abortion is wrong. And there are some that may have gone through that, and you go, I'm, I'm hurting because of that. God brings healing to every situation. And our job at this point is to understand that healing has to take place, and sometimes healing takes place immediately. Sometimes it takes a long time. Our job as the family of God is to come alongside those that are either considering it or have gone through it and rally around them to, to bring a, a healing, the healing idea that God pours grace on that. And help them to know that God still loves them. And then um, another one, and we could go, we could, we could spend like the next three hours talking about this kind of stuff, but um, Second Amendment stuff that's in the news. The freedom to bear arms versus gun control. And frankly, the issue is not guns. The issue is heart. And so where is somebody's heart? Where is their mind? Where is the Romans 12, 1 and 2, the renewing of the mind and, and the, the heart that is turned over to God? It starts there. A heart that is turned over to God does not see guns as, as something of a, of a vehicle to take care of what I think is right or just. So maybe we need to go back to the heart issue. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at this because... Today, we're going to see how Jesus responds to the protests of the Pharisees and the scribes. It's interesting that they are they're pretty pointed in what they pull out and see. And like the protests that we've just mentioned in our world, these protests, at its core, it's a heart issue. And so we're going to look at this, and we have to ask ourselves, are we protesters or promoters, and how do we define those? Are we protesters or promoters? How do we define which one of those we, we are on? 
Because if we look at society, we'd say society is leaning this way, and eventually, if society goes so far over to one side, we become the protesters, don't we? And if society goes all the way over here, we find ourselves the promoters when a whole bunch of others are protesting. And it's not that we have to be in the middle. Understand, we can, we can choose a side in this, but the, the biggest question is, where is our heart in regards to what God says in his word? What God says is important. So I want us to pray very quickly as we start looking at this, because it's going to challenge us for a few minutes. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus clarifies for us what our response ought to be. God, how we should handle things. How we should view our own life. And God, what is needed for us. And so God, we pray that you would speak this morning as we examine your word and just walk through this passage, this, this, um, this conversation that takes place in Mark chapter 7. So God, I ask that you would work to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 7, and, and we're not going to read the whole passage all in one shot. We're going to kind of break this down and read sections of it as we go. And so the, the first part of this is the protest. We're going to look at the protest in, in verse 1, starting in Chapter 7, verse 1 says, The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him, Jesus, when they had come from Jerusalem. So they make a trek up to see Jesus, and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. So they just didn't stop to wash their hands, but it was a ceremonial thing. And he says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. Now that's a phrase you need to remember, traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, they asked Jesus this, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? So I want us to notice the, the protest in this. The Pharisees have this gripe, this complaint that they bring to Jesus, which is actually pretty good. Now, now you kind of know that the Pharisees and the scribes have had this conversation off to the side. Now, they've done their parking lot meeting if you will. They've done that, and they've got in their groups, and they've decided that now they're going to confront the person who is leading this group of disciples around. And so they come to him with a gripe and complaint, and they're calling out the impurity of the disciples. And they say they don't adhere to the tradition of, el of the elders. Those traditions were essentially the oral teachings that either explained the law or expanded the law. That, that was that position. The, the problem was when they did that teaching, that oral teaching, to expand or explain the law, they considered the oral teaching just as relevant or just as strong, holding as much weight as the law itself. 
And so if, if the law said that you're not supposed to drive a car on Sunday, we'll, we'll just kind of put this in modern stuff, you're not supposed to drive a car on Sunday, and you say, oh, well, I really don't understand that. I have to drive to church. The, the tradition or the oral part of that, here, let me explain. Yeah, you're not supposed to drive on Sunday, but you can drive because you live a distance away from the synagogue. You can drive to within a quarter mile of the synagogue. Then you have to get out and walk. You go, well, that sounds silly. I've told you before that on April 13, 1980, I received Jesus Christ as my Savior into my life, and it was at a particular location. It was 1330 Breezy Lane in Atlanta, Georgia. It was on the end of a street where if you come to the main road, the synagogue was right there. And every single Saturday, Jews from all over the area would come and drive, and they would park up and down that street and on the other streets, but they would not park in the parking lot of the synagogue. Because tradition of the elders said, this is the explanation. You can drive this far, but you can't drive that far. You go, man, how silly. That's the kind of stuff that we're talking about here. And their argument was that the disciples are not walking like the elders walked. They're not walking in that tradition. We've, we've known this and we've looked at it and I think some of you even talked about it in your classes this morning. The whole idea of walk, it may have meant lifestyle. It was a directional thing. And so they were not going the same direction. And so different for the Pharisees and the scribes disturbed them. It upset the apple cart. Because the disciples were not doing what was expected of them. As good Jews, they were not washing their hands and going through the motions that the tradition would say they had to. And so the Pharisees complained about it. And it's interesting in this passage that Jesus, when we get to this next section, does not begin with defending the disciples. He does not say, however, these guys are doing what I told them to do. That's not what he says. He immediately moves to the heart issue. And so in, in starting at verse 6, what we see is after we get past the protest, we just see the irony in this. So if we look at, at verse 6 and, and following, it says, And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. So he's kind of nailing them very early. Of you hypocrites, as it is written, the people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts, precepts of men. Now Jesus is stating very strongly about what the Pharisees and scribes have done. He's saying, look, you tell me you outwardly say this, but the heart has moved away. The heart has drifted away from, from me as God. It says, but in vain they do worship me, teaching his doctrines the precepts of men. And then in verse 8, neglecting the command of God, you hold to the tradition of men. And he was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. That's pretty tough. 
say that one out and outside the walls here. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever I, whatever I have that would help you is Corbin, that is to say given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating, invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, that you may do many things such as that. Or, and you do many things such as that. So basically saying, you've taken the word of God and then you've gone over to the side and you've explained something and you've given folks a way around what the word of God says. You've given them permission. See, Jesus, I think, can expect the religious elite to reflect God, but at this point, they don't. They don't at all. They've added rules that do not expose or glorify God. And they become very good at it. They've, and I don't know if it was self-deception on their part or this idea that we have to justify our actions. But verse, verse 6 says that they calls them hypocrites. Basically saying what's on the outside does not match what's on the inside. And then he goes on and says that in vain they do worship me, teaching his doctrines the precepts of men. I want us to talk about this for just a second because worship is not confined to what we do on Sunday morning. It's not confined to what, what's in here. And we, we look at it and we say, I'm going to worship. I'm going to the worship center or I'm going to the sanctuary. Or I'm, I'm going to worship with my church. And to some extent, that is true. You're going to a place and you're worshiping in a gathering of believers that all have the same target, uh, that we're worshiping God. But worship is more than that. And worship goes back to the, that whole idea of walking or lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle. And does our lifestyle reflect God? Does our lifestyle reflect His commands? And so we, if we ask that question, then we go back and say, the Pharisees, were they doing that? Did the Pharisees and scribes understand that worship was not just an event, it was a lifestyle? The Pharisees were experts, skilled at covering or manipulating the law. And so they worked things around. They were experts at it. And sometimes we do that. Let me, let me throw out an example. Um, and I've heard it said, I hadn't heard it said in a while, but when we start talking about dressing up for church, we say we want to put on our Sunday best for church. You've heard that phrase, right? And so it was always, it used to be, and it's, it's gotten, it's much different now, but our Sunday best used to be for guys, you would put on a suit. Or sport coat and tie, and you would wear that, right? That was Sunday best. And ladies would put on dresses, and everybody would go to church and get all dressed up. And, and we've kind of drifted, drifted from that, that. Now we see a wide variance of, of clothing. So here's the question. Is Sunday best more about how you're seen on the outside or about how you're seen on the inside? Am I bringing my Sunday best? In other words, 
am I open to what God's going to do when I come to worship center, worship, the worship center or the worship service? And I, am I open to what God's going to do in that from the inside? Or am I wrapped up in how I'm looking? Pharisees were all about looks. They wanted the disciples to wash their hands without consideration of what the heart of the disciple was. Essentially, the Pharisees had this idea of performance-based Christianity. If I can measure up, then it's all good. If I don't measure up, you're not doing right. The Pharisees expected the disciples to keep tradition, to preserve or guard the tradition and the law. It was their job to preserve it. It's the, it's the same thing that we find, in, and you guys talked about it if you were in Sunday school this morning, and we've been talking about it on Wednesday night in looking at the book of Galatians. We said that, that Paul came along and he said, you're under grace, you're not under the law. You've been set free from the tutor which was over you, leading you to Christ. And so when we look at that idea, we understand that it wasn't about the outward appearance, it was about the inward part. That God was working on the inside and had set you free from, from those regulations that would bind you. So Jesus did not talk about or defend the disciples, but he did start to go to the idea of attitude. The attitude of the Pharisees and the scribes. So we see the protest, we see the irony, and the last thing, starting at verse 14, we're going to see the core of the issue. Verse 14, it says, And after he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. So it ought to get our ears to perk up. So there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. So just, just relax. If, that, if, if you're sitting there going, I don't quite understand, Jesus is going to get to it. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart but into his stomach and is eliminated? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. So here's the, the key to this. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. You say, well, that's, that's quite a list. I, I don't want us to miss in the middle of that list the core of the issue. And Jesus looks at our heart. He knew your heart before you walked in this building. He knew your heart as we were praying and saying, God, help me to understand who I am in Christ and help me to understand what I need to do in response to your word this morning. He knew our heart when we were, when we were singing. We started talking about grace, grace, marvelous grace. Grace that exceeds 
our what? Sin and our guilt. He knew what that meant for us as we were singing that. Center of the issue is our heart. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, we can put that up. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this. It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at the appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. Talking about Saul, right? For I've rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God sees the heart. So regardless of whether you're wearing a suit in here this morning or shorts and a t-shirt, it's about your heart. It's about the heart. Eating without not without washing hands is not necessarily or does not necessarily reveal someone's heart. It didn't in this case. What proceeds out of a man is what defiles him, causes impurity or guilt. It's out of the heart. Verse 20 says, and he was saying, that which proceeds out of a man, that is what defiles the man. And then the list. Let's just, let's just go through it really quickly. It says, destructive thoughts, fornications, or sexual immorality. That word in the Greek is actually pornea. It's a word that's actually tied to worship, if you can believe it. And so it's about taking something that is not meant to be worshipped and worshipping it and replacing what you're supposed to worship and that is worship of God. And putting it in a sexual connotation but fornication. Thefts and murders. That's not hard to figure out. Adulteries. Deeds of coveting or desiring to have more. It's that greediness. Wickedness or malice or depravity is in that. Deceit, sensuality or unbridled lust, envy. And this all has to do with the eyes. If you look up the Greek word, you'll see ophthalmology in that Greek word. Has to do with the eyes. Looking on something and wanting it. Slander has the idea of blaspheming, pride, or arrogance. It's a swollen estimate of our own merit. And then foolishness, which just means to be senseless or reckless. Now we can look at that list and say, uh, and, and go down, and we're not going to do this this morning. You know, I guess we could have put index cards and said, uh, on this list of ten things, which ones are you guilty of? And just hand it down, and we'll look at it as staff. Right? Would you feel comfortable with that? I wouldn't. I'm not giving you my index card either. We all find ourselves in the need of God's mercy and God's grace. And we can find ourselves anywhere on that list and no position or no, no place of service guards you completely from any of those things. We've seen folks fall and we've seen folks triumph. You've seen people that you said, I never thought they would do that, and you find that they did that. Anybody can be in that category of any one of those things. What we have to realize is this list does more than just identify a list of sin. 
because it's not an exhaustive list. We have to realize that this list identifies the depravity of man. It, it identifies how much we need God's mercy. Jeremiah 17.9 says that our hearts are deceitful. That we can lie to ourselves and make it sound good so that we feel good moving forward. It says the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? When we start looking at a verse like that, at Jeremiah 17.9, we look at that and we say, if I can deceive myself and talk myself into certain things or out of certain things, then what hope is there for me? Yet God's grace speaks to us and says, God is willing to pour His mercy and His grace on us. This, uh, this list identifies our great need for God and our need for forgiveness. The other part of this is that those that are in Christ reflect the core of God's character. And so we have this list that, that Mark identifies here that we read about in here that Jesus is saying this is what comes out of the heart of somebody that defiles and, and the Pharisees and scribes, I guess, would be in some of this category just like everybody else that was standing around Jesus. And yet what God wants us to reflect is his character and his heart. So at the core of those that have accepted Christ, we're, giving a, we're given a new list. A list that says that we should live by the Spirit of God. In Galatians 5, and some of you I know were here this morning, and this will sound like a repeat, it's okay. Galatians 5 it says in verse 18, it says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then it has another list. But then we get down to verse 22, and this is, this is the list of those who reflect the character of God or the core of what God's heart is. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. And then our identity in Christ is followed with is following that. It says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk. That word walk again. Let us walk by the Spirit. So those of us that are in Christ, at the very core, it ought to be about our heart. And what comes out of our heart and what comes out of our heart ought to be the thing that God has been working on so that we exude or, or when we're squeezed, the stuff that comes out of us is more like the character of God than the character of Satan. So when we're squeezed, what comes out? Another way to put it, Bob, Bob Golf said this, and I, I think it's going to come up on the screen, says, do you want to do something amazing for God? And trade the appearance of being close to God for the power of actually being close to God. That, that hits, doesn't it? Move beyond the appearance of knowing God and move to just knowing Him, of just following. In this passage, 
we see the word tradition come up several times. And although the word tradition is in this passage, it's not about tradition in the common sense of the word. It's not about those things that have been put in place, but it's about the same issues. And we call it by other names. So if we were to say, what are the traditions of the church? We would have certain things that we would put in place. For instance, we are very accustomed, and we had a, a meeting earlier with um, the Sunday morning Bible study teachers, Sunday school teachers, and we talked about just a little bit about what that looks like. And we said, here at Ebenezer, it's very unlikely that Sunday school will ever go away. It's part of the history of the church. And we would say, that's a tradition. We've, we've become accustomed to it. And so if it went away three weeks from now, and, and this is where I really want you to pay attention, okay? Because I don't want you to walk out with half of this, half of this phrasing, all right? If it were to go away three weeks from now, We'd be up in arms. So you can't do that. And we would use phrases like this. And by the way, we're not, that's not going away. Um, but we would use phrases like this. But we've always done it like that. Or that's the way we're used to doing it. Would we not say that? And there's some things that we would hold on to tighter than others. Now, we may hold on. We say Sunday school is one of those things that I want to hold on really tightly to. And then there's other things that it wouldn't bother me if they went away. Yeah, I'd be okay. I would have to get used to it. It would be a change. But I'd probably be all right. And we have to be really careful, regardless of how tight or how loose you want to hold on to something. When it comes to church and traditions... Things that we do and things that we don't do. We have to be very careful that we reflect the heart of God. Because if something does not reflect the heart of God, then is it godly? Is it really worth holding to? And so we say, we want to chase after God. What does chasing after God look like? Chasing after God has a whole lot of different definitions. For some, it'll mean going overseas. For some, it'll mean doing something different in your community. For some, it'll just mean having a conversation with a neighbor. And there are things that make us uncomfortable. The question is, where's your heart? Where is your heart with regard to what God says is important? We don't want to replace what God says is important with what man thinks is important. We want to be about what God says. And so this morning, we've talked about the protest. The Pharisees and the scribes, they come and protest to Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm going to address you guys, but I'm not going to talk about my disciples. I want to address you. And so he tells them the irony of their traditions or the irony of, of how they walk out their life before God. And he kind of exposes how they've treated tradition and how they've treated the law, how they've treated relationship with God. And then Jesus goes on to explain, explain the core of it has to do with heart rather than outward appearance. 
And so for us, we have to say, how does that apply to us? It applies to us when we consider where our heart is. Some of us in here may have never given our life to Christ. And so the things that are listed in that list, you go, I've done those, but I've never given my life to Christ. And so therefore, you're still responsible for the penalty of that sin. There are others in here that have said, I want to receive the forgiveness of God, and by grace, God poured His grace and His mercy on you. You've received that forgiveness, and, and we put it in terms of accepting Christ or receiving Jesus as Lord and becoming a Christ follower. And some of us have done that. So although there is that list, we realize that we stand before God as a new creation, clean before Him. So you, if you've never done it, Today is a good day to do that. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. It's about letting loose and saying, God, my life is yours. Some of us in here today would say is I consider my heart, although I'm a new creature in Christ, I'm still struggling. There are pieces of my life that reflect that list more than the, they reflect the character of God. And I need to come and come before God and repent. To say, God, I need to give that up and I need to ask for your forgiveness and I want you to help me to live out my life in you with the grace of God. So some of you may need to come to this altar, and it's not to call out anybody. It's an opportunity for you to come before God. I want to express something before we move too much further. God is more interested in your heart. And if God tells you you need to come to the come forward, then you need to do it. It's a matter of obedience, and it's a matter of heart. So let's pray, and as God leads you this morning, you come and be obedient to Him, and allow God to work on that heart of yours this morning. Father, thank you for your word and for how you lead us. God, help us to have hearts that are set on you. Hearts that reflect your character. Hearts that reflect the love that you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this morning, as we go through this time of commitment, it's not going to be long. And we've got a couple more things that we need to do before we get out of here this morning. So, um, so it's going to be relatively short. And so I want to ask you, if, if God is moving you, then move quickly this morning. And you be obedient to him as he leads you. Would you stand?
Father, we thank you for the grace you've given us. You've given us the opportunity to, to, um, to just come before you, to consider where we're at with you. And so, Father, I pray that it would be evident as we walk out of this building that we're reflecting your character. And Father, if there's somebody that still has a question or, or issue with the, the heart, God, I pray that you would help them to have a conversation with somebody that can maybe help them along that journey moving forward before they leave this building. And God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, please do share it with others and check out our other ministries at ebcconnect.org.